key figure response. And everyone else, uh, just so you know, um, while you're in school this week, um, I'll be here, okay? So, I'm sorry, this is Grand Cayman. I'm leaving Tuesday, all right? Have a great week at school, okay? I just want to let you know that. All right, moving on. Yes, happy birthday, Ashley and Sarah. We appreciate you guys uh, and your birthdays. Okay. All right, moving on. It's getting late. Uh, We're doing a series in Galatians. And we've been talking a lot about uh, this thing called the naked gospel. And so today we're going to talk about the issue. Listen up, listen up. We're going to talk about the issue of idolatry. A really fun topic, I think. But I'll start by telling you a story that happened to me recently. I am convinced that, that certain things happen to youth pastors so we can tell stories like this. Like God actually makes things happen to us so that I can tell stories like this. Okay. A while back... Are we okay on the sound? I guess so. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was... I'm going to switch mics. This thing is really causing a lot of noise here. It's the green one. It's the green one. There you go. We sound okay? Sound all right? Okay. Okay. So a uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, in my car in the left-hand turn lane, about to go left, which is what you do in the left-hand turn lane. I'm sitting there just completely still, and this lady just comes out of nowhere and hits the side of my car. Then she takes off. So it's a hit and run. Now, the funny thing is, I'm on the phone leaving a voicemail message on someone's voicemail as I get hit, all right? So the person that got the message heard something like this. Hey, man. Blah, 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 blah. That's what it sounded like to them, all right? So I hang up the phone, and I'm like, there's no way I'm paying for this. So I make a quick U-turn. I start chasing this lady down the street in my little Honda Civic, which when you floor it sounds an awful lot like a, a bumblebee. So I'm going as fast as I can. I floored my face. It's like, wee! And at, at which point I realized that my car sounds a little bit different after I've been hit. It sounds a little less aerodynamic. And I look out the driver's side window there, and I see this piece of car sticking out of the side of my car like this. So this is me driving, okay? I'm like this. My car's not red. I'm like, what in the world, you know? This is actually a piece of her car, all right? So anyway, I chase this lady down. I call 911 while I'm driving. I'm like in, like, multitasking here. I'm like, hey, what happened to I'm chasing this lady. You just hit me. Blah, blah, blah. And they're, like, trying to talk me through everything. And I'm just freaking out. My heart's pounding. And finally, as she goes through the stoplight, and the light was green. As she goes through it, it gets, I, I come to the light, and the light's red when I get there, okay? So I've got to stop. I'm sitting there like going, she's getting away, she's getting away, what am I going to do? And so I'm sure the guy next to me thought I was trying to drag race him, which I've got a Honda Civic, you know, so what? that makes sense. So anyway, I'm, I'm trying to catch up this lady. Light turns green. I race down Avenue R here in Temple, and I come over this hill only to find her having caused another accident with four other cars. 
So I pull up on the scene. I'm like on the phone with 911. Like, well, I think I found her. She's right here, you know. So anyway, everyone was fine, no physical injuries. But this lady was apparently just not right in the head, obviously. And she just was trying to cause damage. She admitted to the cops later on that she did all this on purpose, okay? And uh, the funny part was that the cop that talked to me, I explained to him what happened. I said, so yeah, my car's the one over there with the red thing sticking out of the door. That's my car right there. And he's like, well, where'd you come from? Like, I saw you coming down the road. Like, where'd you come from? I was like, that was a mile down the road when she hit me, okay? And so he says, well, so you chased her down the street? And he goes, did you speed? And I'm going... I have a Honda. I can't speed. Okay? So I was like, you're going to give me a ticket if I was speeding, if I admit to that right here and right now. But so this lady hits me. And so after a while, it became like this real sort of story I could tell people and everything. And, and, uh, and so after this whole thing kind of settled down, I started kind of getting angry at the whole situation. I mean, not so much that the lady, she was just not right in the head. It wasn't so much that my car got damaged because I drive a Honda Civic. And, uh, but for me, it was an issue of, I've got to pay $500 to get my car fixed. She has no insurance. And so for me, it was an issue of, this is a tight, really tight financial month for us. And so because of that, I started thinking about, man, I've got to pay 500 bucks. I don't want to pay $500. And, and for me, I'm a person who, I like to have financial security. I don't like things to be left in the dark financially. I like having my finances kind of in order, okay? And after a while, I started thinking, like, what is the real source of my anger here? What, what's really at the heart of my anger? And it really comes down to this issue of I like financial security. I don't like it when random people get between me and my financial security, all right? And so I began thinking about this idea of idolatry and how this ties in. That, that, that oftentimes, if, if what makes you angry, if you think about what really makes you angry in life, chances are you can follow the trail of your anger, anger to your idol. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that when someone messes with a certain part of your life and you get really angry, what what? What triggers those emotions? What makes you really angry? The chances are there's a really strong connection between your anger and your idolatry, which you're hanging on to. So let's look at the question, what is idolatry? One writer said this. He said, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that is central in my life, anything that seems to me essential. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend, anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time and attention, my energy and my money. Someone else said, an idol is anything apart from Jesus that you think you need to be happy. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to identify some idols that we have. It's not always the obvious ones. It's not always the ones that you think it is. It's not always the ones that we naturally think of 
as idols. We're going to look at the deeper idols that we have in our hearts and expose them for what they are and hopefully have you confess this to God and repent and turn from those things and turn towards Christ. Uh, we're going to look quickly here at, um, as we identify our idols, there, there are three uh, kinds of emotions that I think can trigger. I mentioned anger as one earlier. I'll mention three other ones here briefly. But the, the, the uh, emotion of anxiety, anybody here ever feel really anxious all the time? You feel just really anxious about the future, anxious about what's going to happen in the future? Well, there's an, there's an idol beneath the surface there. If you're a person who's really anxious all the time, and you're just enslaved to this thing called anxiety, then your idol might have to do with the future. Your idol might have to do with not feeling secure that God has things taken care of. And so as a result of your fear, you're anxious. You, you live in this fear of anxiety. And when, our, when, when your idol is under attack, whenever you don't know your future, whenever your future doesn't feel secure, kind of like mine did with the accident, financially I felt insecure in that moment. When you feel those anxious feelings, it's usually in that time when your idols are under greatest attack. The second emotion we can feel is one of guilt and bitterness. Uh, for some of you guys, you may have a really tough time getting, feeling God's forgiveness for your sin. You might have a really tough time really sensing God's forgiveness in your life. Maybe you've done something in the past that the guilt is just overwhelming you. You feel bitter towards God. You feel bitter towards other people. Maybe you feel guilty for uh, something you've done to someone else, something you've done to God. And, and that guilt, you're just enslaved to it. For someone like you, maybe your idolatry is one of the past. You're just slave to your past. Even now, whenever you fall into some kind of, a certain kind of sin, you have a really difficult time experiencing the victory that Jesus Christ offers you. And you find yourself being enslaved to guilt. Thirdly, maybe you're someone who doesn't experience those emotions, but you experience the emotion of, of boredom or the emotion of emptiness just throughout your life. This is probably what I would, I would say most of you probably fall under. Is you're, you're in high school, you're in a place in your life where saying the words, I'm bored, probably comes out of your mouth quite a bit, usually in relation to school. And I understand, I mean, it's nothing is exciting about school. I understand that. But when it comes to your life in general, do, do you find yourself being overwhelmed with the feelings of boredom? Like, I'm just, I'm bored spiritually, I'm bored with church, I'm bored in my relationships, I'm bored in my friendships. I just feel empty. I feel like I have, I have no life. I feel like I just am dying on the inside. For someone who experiences this, and I would guess it's probably many of you, there's someone who, who said this quote. He said, to be bored is to die before one's death. It, essentially, you're, you're walking around life just feeling like you're dead on the inside because really you are. And, and, and this is the kind of person who, when they say they're bored, they're, they're counting on everyone around them to entertain them. They're counting on their pastors to entertain them. They're counting on their friends to entertain them, their parents. This is the kind of person, any situation you put them in, doesn't matter what it is, they're bored. And I would just want to ask the question, do you think maybe the problem is you? 
do, do you think that maybe the problem has to do with the state of your own heart spiritually? I think you could say that for a person who's like this, your idolatry is one of the present. In the present moment, you find yourself just dead and bored, and you're dead to God, and you're dead to those around you. I want to ask you a question at your tables. Uh, discuss this for a few minutes. Um, which one of these do you struggle with the most personally? And talk about what are the specific ways in which you struggle with these things. Go ahead and discuss for a few minutes at your tables. Okay, that, that should serve as an intro to where we're going for the rest of this morning's discussion. Uh, this brings us to Galatians. This brings us to the book of Galatians. And we've, we haven't spent a couple weeks on this because we had, uh, I was sick last week and then we had Easter before that. So refresh your memory. Paul is really, Paul's a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. He was miraculously converted. And he was a person who was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. He was doing everything anti-Christian. And finally, one day, God, Jesus Christ, appeared to him in a vision and just changed him there on the spot. He was completely changed, he was transformed, and he became this incredible missionary. He traveled around in several parts of what's now parts of Asia and, and Europe, and he would plant churches, he would see people come to know Christ, he would lead them to Christ, he would disciple them, he would shepherd them in their newfound relationship with Christ. That was Paul. And the Galatians were one such church. So after Paul had been with the Galatians for a while, he, he left from them, but then he heard about these people that had entered into the Galatian church that were false teachers. All right? And what these people were teaching, they were teaching something that, that goes against everything that the Bible says about salvation. Paul had told the Galatians, he said, you were saved by Jesus Christ alone. You place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, not in your works, but in Christ. And that is where salvation is found. But these other people came into the Galatian church... And they tried to say, okay, well, yeah, the Jesus thing, that's true. But you also need to start following after the law of Moses. They were adding works to the gospel. And so Paul was writing the, the, the letter to the Galatians to counteract these false teachers that had risen up in the Galatian church. So Paul is really scared for the Galatians. He's really concerned about the Galatians. He led many people to Christ, but, but now they're falling away. Now here's what's interesting, is that Paul actually calls what they're falling into, he calls it idolatry. And you might think, well, I mean, come on, Dave, that doesn't sound like idolatry. I mean, idolatry is, you know, it's, it's the big sins. It's the, it's the sins you think of, like, you know, drugs, sex. I mean, the things that you think of is like, yeah, these are my idols that I am having trouble relinquishing for God. But Paul is calling their legalism idolatry. He's calling their, their spiritual piety. He's calling that idolatry. You're going, well, how is that idolatry? Because here's how it's idolatry. They're, they're looking to something besides Jesus Christ himself for their happiness and for their significance. They're looking outside of Jesus Christ towards something else. Even though it's legalism, 
And because it's anything but Jesus Christ, anything but God, you can still call it idolatry. Now let's go ahead and read uh, in verse 8, Galatians 4, verse 8. It says this. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And right here he's referring to them buying into the law of Moses for their salvation. They were doing these things, these festivals, these these feasts, these Old Testament rituals, so that they could be saved. They had it wrong. They had it wrong. Paul says in verse 11, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And so, and so Paul is scared. He is, he is fearful for the Galatians because they're headed right into idolatry. And it's a kind of idolatry that most of us would not detect. Most of us would not know we're falling into it. And the Galatians are headed right into it. They're headed right into this legalism form of idolatry. I want to take a few minutes this morning and, uh, and talk to you. When I read these these words in verse 11 he says I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you there are certain things that I want to talk to you guys directly this morning about Um, these are fears that I have for us these are fears that I have for some of you and I'll tell you guys as I sit here and look as a pastor uh, in this church just the stories that I hear sometimes of some of your lives and the things that I, 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 I know about things that I know go on um just the heartbreak that I know that happens in some of your lives with your families. I mean, there's just a, a, a slew of things that I've, I've, been, I've thought about recently, and I am concerned. I am, I'm deeply concerned for some of you. And I fear for some of you. And, and as your pastor, I want to talk to you this morning about a few of those things. For some of you, I kind of broke this into five categories. Unbelievers, non-Christians. There are people here this morning that, that you're a part of a church, you're a part of what we do here, but you're not really following Christ. You're, you're not really a believer in Christ. You're not following after Him. And if that is you this morning, let me just tell you that I am thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're even here. I'm so glad that you're even here. But some of you have been coming here for a while. And you're still not following after Christ. You're still not... You still haven't given your heart to Him. You never come to that place in your life where you can say, You know what? I'm tired of playing the game. I want to follow after Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. I would encourage you that that, that starting right now, that you start to, to take Him seriously, that you stop playing the game, And that you follow after Christ with everything that you have. And you come to know Him. You decide to do that today. You do that today. For some of you, uh, that may not be you, but maybe you're someone who's a new Christian. Maybe you're someone who just recently started following after Christ. You came to that place in your life when you realized, I'm a sinner separated from God. 
because of my sin, and I want to follow after him. I want to, I want to have him change me. I'm tired of being enslaved to all these things. I'm tired of being held back spiritually. I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and some of you guys did that. Some of you guys did that recently. And I, I think that's incredible. I, I praise God for that. But if that is you, then, then my fear for you, I'm scared for you that that you'll lose your passion. I'm, I'm scared that you'll lose your zeal. I'm scared that you're going to see the hypocrisy that happens sometimes in this place and lose your passion as a result of it. I'm scared for you. I fear for you. For some of you, you're not a non-Christian, you're not an, a new Christian, but you're what I call an old Christian. You're a person who has been raised in the church, you've been here for a long time, you've been a part of what we do here, and you can recite the gospel, you know the gospel backwards and forwards, but my fear for you is, is, is just sheer apathy. My, my fear for you is that you, you've seen and heard everything in relation to the gospel to the point where you're just sick of it. You're tired of the church, you're tired of, of, of youth group, you're tired of, of just the whole ordeal. And you're ready to be done with it. And I have some real fears for you. My fear for you is that you're going to live the rest of your life like in spiritual limbo. You like parts of the gospel. You like parts of the Bible and what God has to say to you. And you kind of want to keep that as part of your life. But you also don't want to engage too much. Because if you do, you'll feel like you're one of those weird Christians. You'll, you'll, you'll feel like you're one of those weird people that, that people talk about. And so you're kind of living in this weird limbo. This weird spiritual limbo. And so I fear for you. I'm, I'm scared for you. That your faith has become apathetic. That your faith has become just very dry and, and gray and boring. And there's no life to it. I'm also scared for our girls. Girls, I need your attention, please. I'm scared for our girls that are in this room. Because some of you ladies, you are addicted to attention. Some of you. Some of you ladies, you've got to have that guy there. And if he's not then someone else needs to be. And if that guy isn't, then someone else needs to be. And if you're not in a relationship all the time, you've got to have somebody giving you attention just constantly. I mean, even uh, this thing called a cell phone. For some of you, this this is not just a cell phone to you. This is like your life. You know, in fact, on Wednesday night, I talked to Clayton this past week, and and he said, you know what, Dave, we're gonna take up cell phones because everyone on Wednesday night is just so distracted and can't focus on anything. I said, hey man, just do it. Take them up, and uh, we'll put them in the closet and lock it while we're uh, having our group. And there were several people that were like, like you had to pry their fingers off their cell phone because it was like they've got to have this little attention-getting text messaging thingy. It's like they. They can't let go of the world just for like an hour, okay? Which just confirms why I need to take it away from you for a little bit, right? I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm trying to communicate something, guys, that for some of you girls, you are addicted to attention. You're addicted to that kind of stuff. 
You've got to have it. You've got to make, have that to feel happy and to feel significant about yourself. Also, ladies, recently I've heard just countless stories of, of young girls that have wanted to come into this room, wanted to be a part of things on Sunday morning, and their moms tell me she doesn't feel welcome there. She doesn't feel like people even talk to her there. And I've mentioned this a hundred times, but that makes me sick. That makes me really sick. In fact, one girl who came down here recently, I saw her at uh, Temple High a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? And she said, well, I would love to come there, but, but honestly, a lot of the girls treat me really badly there. I said, oh, what happened? She said one time she sat at the table here, and she made friends with a girl, and then she saw that same girl at Temple High, and she walked up with the girl and said, hey, I met you on Sunday. And the girl, like, rolled her eyes and walked the other way. I mean, what is that? What is that? I'll tell you exactly what that is. That is idolatry. That is you caring more about your, your image and your reputation and your inner circle than it is about Jesus. That is idolatry. That's a form of idolatry. And it doesn't stop with the girls. It it also goes to the guys, too. I'm scared for the guys. I'm scared for the guys that are in this room today. I fear for you. Just recently, I've been think, we've been thinking a lot about just raising you guys up and, and trying to pour into you guys as young men. And, and some of you guys, I think, get it. Some of you guys think, I think, really want that. And you want to be a man of God. You want to follow after God. Other you guys, others of you guys, just you don't care. You're apathetic. You, you don't care about uh, the things that, that God cares about. And and, and just recently. Um, we had sign-ups for Impact, which is our Becker Bible Club deal. And just this past week, I was counting up the names of those who were signed up for Impact. And there are 50 people who were doing Impact. We've, like, broken an Impact record on the number of people that are actually doing it, which is awesome. That's great. I praise God for that. 50 names in junior high and high school. Seven of whom are high school guys. That's it. Seven. And I know that we've heard a lot of things like, oh, I've got to get a job, I've got to do this, I've got to... And I'm not trying to talk about that. I just can't think it's a coincidence that only seven guys that are in high school can do impact. And there's 38 girls who can't. I'm sorry. I can't help but think there's a spiritual thing going on there. And if the Holy Spirit is is speaking to you right now about something like that, like, yeah, I've been spiritually dead, therefore I don't want to do something like impact, then I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Because let me tell you guys, if you men in this room want to be what... I think God's called you to be, and that's a spiritual leader of your family one day, then it's got to start now. It's got to start now. You can't can't expect that you're just going to walk into a family one day and spiritually lead when you haven't done it when you're 17, 18 years old. And so I'm fearful. I'm scared for, for us. I'm fearful for us. 
what, what God wants to do, I feel like He can't fully do it because so many of us are hanging on to idols. So many of us are hanging on to image and reputation and, and wanting to be a part of an inner circle of friends that doesn't really care about God, so therefore we don't either. And guys, God has so much more for you. God has so much more for you. We're going to look at uh, just verse 8 here quickly. Where Paul writes, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to, who by, to those who by nature are not gods. What he's saying there is that the ancient people, they had a God for everything. They had a God, a goddess of sex. They had a God for the sun. They had a God for everything you could imagine. They had hundreds of gods. Now, today, we worship in the same way. We just don't have names for those guys. We don't, we don't have little idols laying around our house. We don't have these, these little things called idols. But for so many of us, the things of our life can still become an idol very easily. Everyone, everyone worships something. We are created for worship. Everybody worships something. You can't escape worship. Even even the atheist who says they don't believe anything, that person still worships something. They worship themselves. We can't get away from worship. We, we all are, have a heart that's inclined towards worship. And so no one is an unbeliever. Everyone is, in a sense, a believer. And everyone has a belief system, that, and they organize their life around that belief system. You either worship God or you worship a false God. There's no in-between. You can even say this, that every form of our sin, every form of sin that we commit is a form of idolatry. It's a, it's a way of, I'm, I'm going to put God off the throne and put myself on the throne, and it's a form of idolatry. Look at verse 9. Paul says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? I want you guys to, I'm going to ask you a question about the text here, and this will require you to look at the text, okay? Look at, your, look at the verse, at verse 9 there. I want you to look at it. You're going to discuss this next question at your tables. Paul does something really interesting here. He, he reverses this phrase here. He says, but now that you know God. Then he switches it and he goes, or rather known by God. Here's a question to discuss. Why do you think Paul reverses that from the first phrase to the second phrase? Just discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. I'll explain this real quick, a summary of what Paul's doing here, and then we'll move on to the next part of what we're going to do today. This is, this is really subtle, and some of you might look at this and go, well, that's, what kind of question is that? that is, I don't really know how to answer that question. Here's what Paul's doing. It's very subtle, but he makes this, this, this really small shift in his wording. He's dealing with people that think they can attain and they can work for their salvation. So when he uses the phrase, but now that you know God, Paul realizes that these people, these people that think they can climb a ladder to God, they can climb the ladder of their own efforts to get to God. 
he realizes that he reverses the phrase and he says, or known by God. In other words, God has reached down. God has reached down and entered into your life. God has pursued you. God has chased after you. God knows you. It's not that you just can get to know God through your effort. It's that God, in His grace and love for you, reaches down and and He knows you. That's what makes it possible for you to even come to know Him. He's the one that, that is the first cause. He's the one that acts. And our response to that is what allows us to get to know Him. This is so important because if you're ever going to let go of your idolatry, you've got to get this. You have to get this. It is God who sets you free. It's not your own efforts to set you free. It's God who sets you free. We're going to move now uh, here as we close out. You've got some uh, pens in your tables and some, uh, some sheets there. And this is going to be a little reflection time for you to sit just by yourself as the song plays. And, uh, and we are going to, um, I want to have you answer uh, these questions here. The first part is called, uh, there's three questions that talk about like anger, fe- being fearful, um, hating yourself, that sort of thing. Answer those questions just in your own words there. And then also the second part, it says circle the thoughts that you struggle with. And just go through that, that, that long list there and circle the ones that you feel like you struggle with. It'll be self-explanatory. And uh, we'll close out in just a few minutes. The point of this is to get you guys thinking about... The sort of the deep areas in which you struggle with some kind of idolatry. I know some of the ones that jumped out to me that might be big struggles in this room, especially uh, image idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. Uh, something else that stuck out to me is one toward the bottom called irreligion idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I feel I am totally independent of organized religion and with a self-made morality. In other words, if you're someone who feels like uh, the institutional religion, like we call, we do this thing called church, if that just kind of goes against the grain of, 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 of what you believe, then you might be a person who suffers from irreligion idolatry. Uh, something else called inner ring idolatry. This is a big one, I think, here. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if a particular friendship group lets me in. Suffering idolatry, another one I thought of for you guys. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I am hurting, if I have a problem, and if people are there to always be around there to help me. This is a big one. Many of these, I think, relate to us. And if you're someone who not just struggles with this kind of idolatry, but may struggle with the real idolatry of of just the ones we mentioned before, like you're you're, you're really into uh, to partying, you're really into you know going far with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're really into things that that God. God wants you to wait on some of those things. God wants you to wait on a physical relationship with the opposite sex until you're married. 
And guys, I've heard, I have heard several people talk to me recently from this youth group that they're involved sexually, that they're involved in um, all kinds of stuff. And I'm not going to be one of those, uh, I'm not just trying to say, you know, oh, that's, that stuff's evil. God created that stuff, but He meant it to be in a certain context. If you're someone who's chasing after those idols, and you're, you're putting your plan before God's plan in those areas, then you can't be following after Him and be following after those idols at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so if you're someone that's here this morning and you're, and you're wondering why God feels so distant, God feels so far away, I think the answer always comes back to this issue of idolatry. What are you putting in the place of God for your own significance, your own happiness? What is it? And when you identify it, I want you to go home and just think about some of this stuff. I want you to confess it to God. For some of you guys, maybe for the first time, you might tell God that you want to be in a relationship with Him. Maybe you might tell Him that, God, I've never relinquished these idols, and I want to let go of these things, and I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Maybe you need to tell God that for the first time. If you're someone who is a, you're not necessarily a a non-Christian, but you might be a person who is a a new Christian or an old Christian or whatever, maybe there's still some things in your life that you need to let go of. If you're ever going to grow in your walk with God, you need to confess those things, name those things, confess those things to God, and turn from those things, and turn towards Christ turns towards, towards Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for uh, being a God who is always there waiting for us to return back to you. You're always calling us. You're always pursuing us. You're always wanting us to take you as seriously as you take us. God, I pray that, uh, that you would help us or help us to have the strength to relinquish our idols, to relinquish the things that we're hanging on to in place of you. God, so many of our, of our idols aren't even ones that we even know about. I pray that even just through this morning that you would help us to, to recognize those things, to confess those things to you, to name those things before you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to deepen our relationship with you. We pray that you would, uh, that you would do the work, that you would be uh, pursuing us and chasing after us. And the ones in here that, that are still running from you, God, I pray that, that they would finally submit to you and, and submit to you as an authority in their life, God, and want to enter into a relationship with you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.